Hello, friends and neighbors. This is David Smith of Illinois Family Action with a special edition for our Spotlight Podcast. Recently, I gave a Sunday morning message at my church, and since we captured the audio, I thought we could post it as a special edition for those who may be interested. In this message, I highlight a major theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. In his sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it very clear to us, blessed are those who do the will of God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus tells us that whoever keeps and teaches the commandments, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And in James chapter 1, verse 22, we're told, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So without further delay, here is my message. This morning, uh, I want to kind of follow up with something Greg's been doing because the Lord has had me really meditating on this listening to God over the past few months. And uh, the Lord has been having me see things in Scripture, and maybe this is true for you as well, opening my eyes to how the be doers of the word theme runs through the entire word of God, the entire Bible. I don't know about you, but I keep seeing it almost on a daily basis as we listen or read Scripture. For example, yesterday... Smith family read an exhortation from 1 Peter who instructs us to prepare your mind for action, okay? 1 Peter 1.13. In the New King James, it says, gird up your loins of your mind, <laughs> okay? And it goes on to say this, keep sober in spirit, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." Okay, so the Bible app that I'm using also had me today, as we're driving into church, read from 1 Peter. But now we're in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. I mean, I didn't have a slide up there because I wasn't prepared for this. But I want to read this to you real quick. So I'm just going to read the first 17 verses, or 11 through 17. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. 11 through 17 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governor who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Verse 15, for it is God's will that, they be, that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedoms as a cover-up for evil, 
Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And honor the emperor. All right? So did you catch that, though? Shine the light of Jesus, right? By doing good. By doing good deeds. Also, while putting this message together, I, I came across Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 17 through 19, which says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So it's all over the place. It's what my point is. It's all over scripture. This theme runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, in Revelation this morning, uh, I'm going to real quick look at it up. I, I got to put this, show this to you. You probably saw it, but chapter 22, verse 14, um, my translation said, uh, Bless are those who keep his commandment. Blessed are those who keep the commandment, in verse 14. So, as I've been meditating about this, uh, I, I started thinking about the Sermon of the Mount. It, the Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5 and ends in chapter 7, so 5, 6, and 7. And in chapter 5, we're exhorted to be salt and light. We are told to keep his commandments. And, of course, Jesus gives us the Beatitudes, which say this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. So looking at that, that list, the Beatitudes, in this passage, Jesus is clearly telling us, blessed are those who do my word. In fact, in verse 19 of Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that whoever keeps and teaches the commandments, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray, he exhorts us to invest in heavenly treasure and not earthly treasure. He warns us not to worry about the things of the day, but to seek his kingdom first and foremost. I want to pick it up in chapter 7 now and read the entire chapter. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says, Do not judge, so you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. 
and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your own brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat the people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law in the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophet, who comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell, and, the, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. 
for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for your words of wisdom, your exhortation, your correction that we find in your word. Father, I pray during this time you would instruct us with your word. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to learn what you want us to learn. Help us to apply it, to become more effective servants, slaves for you and your kingdom. Lord, I pray for that, uh, that you would use this time, redeem it for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, in light of the Listening to God sermon series, and the long introduction I just gave this morning, the main point of this passage probably jumps out at you. Well, at least I hope so. What is the essential difference between a person who is wise and a person who is foolish? Here are the key verses again. Matthew 7.24 says this, that everyone who hears these words of mine, that's Jesus, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verses 7.26, which says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. See? That's the crux of the matter. The person who chooses to act on the word of God versus the one who does not act on them. That, that also, by the way, is the essential difference between the person who hasn't walked through the narrow gate in verse 13 and the one who hasn't. Sorry, the one who has walked through the narrow gate and the one who hasn't in verse 13. It's the essential difference between the one who's like a tree bearing good fruit in verse 18 and the one who isn't bearing good fruit. Show me the person who is acting on the word or the one who does not only say, Lord, Lord, but also does the will of the Father in verse 21, and the one who doesn't. See, the crux of the matter is wise people don't just know God's ways, his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies. They act on them. Think about the context of the sermon for a moment. Matthew is presenting Jesus to primarily a Jewish audience as the promised king. Jesus' way of teaching, that is, the whole body of instruction in the Sermon on the Mount, brought astonishment to his hearers. We're told that at the end of chapter 7. It's not the type of teaching they were accustomed to getting from their scribes, who were learned in, in Jewish oral tradition. When the scribes taught something, they spoke it in the name of some previous authority. Jesus didn't teach that way. Rather than speaking in the name of another human, Jesus often declared, Truly, I say to you. However, I say to you. He spoke as a person having authority, one who directly represented God, as was the case with inspired prophets of pre-Christian times. So in the Old Testament, we have the story of the first king, a man named Adam, who was placed in a perfect garden and told to rule over creation in obedience to our loving creator. 
Adam was to glorify and represent God by ruling over the birds of the air and the, land, the animals of the land and the fish of the sea, and of course, ruling essentially over his own heart. Well, we know how well that turned out, right? He disobeyed God and he failed to take dominion. And the Old Testament tells a sad story in many ways of men and women longing for a path to righteousness, longing for a person, longing for a leader, longing for a king, yeah, longing for a Messiah who could make that kind of righteousness possible and to restore things. And then we open up the pages of Matthew, the book that we have before us this morning, and we have the genealogy of a king. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the descendant of Abraham. And then we go on to read of his miraculous birth, which fulfills Old Testament prophecy after prophecy about the promised Messiah. Then Matthew tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus is taken into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, if the first king cannot withstand temptation in a perfect garden, how is the second king going to do after being starved in the wilderness? And what's the answer to that? He's going to respond with perfect righteousness because this king is the son of God. And then Jesus begins teaching in chapter 5. And he tells us about the kingdom that he is offering and everyone's mouth just drops open. Not only because he speaks with authority, because he says things that, like at the beginning of the sermon with the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. As I read and think about what Jesus is saying, I think to myself, oh, I'd sure love to live in a kingdom like that. I'd sure like to find a ruler like that. I'd sure like to have family and neighbors like that. Blessed are those who have the mind of God, who do the commands of God. You may want to take time this afternoon or maybe sometime this week and read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. But if you do that, watch for the repetitive theme of righteousness. So like in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Or here's a haunting verse later in that same chapter. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? The more you hear about this righteousness, the more you say, I remember what happened to the first king, King Adam. And I know I'm living under his curse with, this, with sinful flesh, and I'm not naturally poor in spirit. I don't naturally mourn over my sin, and I'm not naturally gentle. And the more you read through the Sermon of the Mount, or listen to it, the more you're tempted to conclude, I'm not qualified to live in this kingdom. And that's the point of the sermon. We need a righteousness that is not our own. John touched on this. 
It comes through repenting and placing our faith in the new king so we don't conjure up tainted righteousness like this in our own merits. We receive it as a free gift of grace through the power of the Holy Spirit when we become sons and daughters of the Almighty. It's interesting to note how Jesus concludes his sermon on the Mount. He gives us a twofold illustration. The Gospel of Luke records it in chapter 6 like this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. When Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, he's referring back to the things he just taught in the Sermon of the Mount. Everyone who hears those sayings does not mean only those who were actually present for Jesus' great discourse. Included also are those who later hear by word of mouth and by reading his famous sermon. However, lasting benefits results only to the one who both hears and does what Jesus lays out for us. In addition to good deeds that are visible to humans, Jesus is teaching listeners that they need spiritual transformation cultivating dispositions of the mind and the heart that truly please God. Paul points this out in Romans 12, too, when he tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For example, the Son of God admonished his audience to recognize their spiritual poverty and need for God in the Beatitudes, to develop mildness of temper towards God and fellow human beings, to be lovers of righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, and peaceable. Persons who heed this counsel are being renewed. They are being sanctified. And then we know this will manifest itself in good works that shine brilliantly before all and give glory to God. This does not mean merely performing acts of worship, self-denying and denial and charity that others can admire. You know, few could match the zeal of the Pharisees for such things. Yet their acts were done hypocritically and meant nothing to God. The person who is wise, discerning, showing good judgment, prudent, builds his house upon the rock. The house solidly fixed to a foundation anchored in rock will remain intact during violent storms. Rains and floods will not sweep away its foundation, 
Winds lashing at it from all sides will not cause that house to topple. It will not cave in during a storm. In a figurative sense, building one's house on the rock means being intentional about conforming our thoughts, motivations, and subsequent deeds according to the whole body of these sayings of Jesus, as found in the Sermon of the Mount and through the entire Word of God. Trials and challenges that strike suddenly like a violent storm cannot wash away such a solid foundation for godly conduct. It is during times of hardship that the doer of, the G- of Jesus' words will become like or prove himself to be like the discreet builder on a rock foundation. The personal personality traits and qualities that he has developed in accordance with God's word will not cave in under stormy circumstances. He will not quit his service to God. On the other hand, Jesus went on to say, Everyone hearing these sayings of mine and not doing them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains poured down and the floods came and the winds blew and struck against that house and it caved in and its collapse was great. Most of us understand what Jesus is saying here, right? It would be foolish to build a house on sand. Rains, floods, violent winds would make short work of such a structure. Its collapse would be great, thorough, and beyond repair. Something similar will happen figuratively to the one hearing these sayings of Jesus and does not act on them. Such a one bases his life not on obedience to the teaching of God's word, but on selfish disobedience to Christ's saying that, like sand, washes away with the flood. During tranquil days when life is largely trouble-free, such an individual may be able to conceal his lack of godly character or qualities. But as soon as hardship strikes, he will be likened or prove himself to be like the foolish builder on the sand. As far as any pretense of being a servant of God is concerned, stormy adversities will cause him to buckle and suffer a great collapse. In discussing the need to replace wrong thoughts and motivations with correct ones so as to become a happy doer of God's work, we must revisit the verses in James that Greg has gone over the past few months. James 1. 22 through 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For anyone, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked himself at himself and gone away, he immediately forgotten, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a wrongful hearer, but a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Let me read that part again. An effectual doer will be blessed in what he does. So for anyone 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and once he's looked at it himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now, you didn't do that this morning, did you? You woke up, you got yourself to a mirror eventually, and you said, what a mess, right? And what did you do? Did you just walk away and forget about it? I can see you right now. You're looking pretty good to me, right? That's because you acted on it. You saw this morning what needed to be rectified. Your face is washed. Your hair is fixed. Your teeth are brushed. You're looking a whole lot better now than you did a few hours ago, right? That's the point. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this person will be blessed in what he or she does. The perfect law will show us what is out of place and what needs to be rectified and addressed and what needs to be submitted to God. So how would you rank yourself on that particular point? Have you done any kind of self-evaluation recently? Well, Scripture tells us to do that. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? Lamentations 3, 4 says, Let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. Psalm 119:59 says, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. 1 Corinthians 11:28 says, and this is the one we use before we go to communion, but a man must examine himself before he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how you doing? How are you doing at being a doer of the word? We all need to regularly evaluate ourselves in order to be more careful how and where we are building. It's also true why Christian fellowship is so vitally important as we encourage one another and build one another up. So looking at the the big picture here, we are being encouraged to recognize our need, not just for a Savior, but that's first and foremost, but for the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, placing our faith and trust in Christ every moment of every day to to not just hear what the Lord has said in the Sermon on the Mount, but to actually walk in his ways, keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies. We must choose to build our lives on the rock. We must build our lives on the rock of Christ himself. He has given his word precisely for this purpose. I appreciated this quote from John MacArthur about this passage. He said we could see at least five reasons why the Sermon on the Mount is important. He says this. First, it shows the absolute necessity of the new birth. Its standards are much too high and too demanding to be met by human power. Only those who can partake of God's own nature through Jesus Christ can fulfill such demands. These standards of the Sermon on the Mount go far beyond those of Moses 
in the law, demanding not only righteous actions, but righteous attitudes. Not just that men do right, but they be right. No part of Scripture more clearly shows man's desperate situation without God. Second, the sermon intends to drive listeners to Jesus Christ as man's only hope of meeting God's standard. If a man cannot live up to the divine standard, he needs a supernatural power to enable him. The proper response to the sermon leads to Christ. Third, the sermon gives God's pattern for happiness and for true success. It reveals the standards, the objectives, the motivations that with God's help will fulfill what God has designed man to be. That we find the way of joy and peace and contentment. Four, the sermon is perhaps the greatest scriptural resource for witnessing, for reaching others for Christ. A Christian who personifies these principles of Jesus will be a spiritual magnet. Attracting others to the Lord who empowers him to live as he does. The life obedient to the principles of the Sermon on the Mount is the church's greatest tool for evangelism. Fifth, the life obedient to the maxims of this proclamation is the only life that's pleasing to God. That is the believer's highest reason for following Jesus' teaching. It pleases God. We cannot afford to build our lives on the sand of what the culture so often says is good, right, and popular. We must understand how our world has all sorts of deceitful messages about life and how we should relate to each other. <coughs> and much of that is not just sand, but it's quicksand. These are lies our adversary wants us to buy. Satan would love us to have, and to have us sell the truth. So as I wrap up my message this morning, I honestly thank God for his diligent work here at CHC to help us better understand this vital theme that runs throughout his word and his call to us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. I want to conclude with two passages from Psalms. The first is from Psalm 119. Psalm 119 says this, the first um, five verses. How blessed are those who way, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They, all, they walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. And then in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 8. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. 
How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done in your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be true of each of us here at CHC, that we would take delight in doing your will and we would observe your testimonies, keep your precepts and statutes. Father, set our feet firmly upon the rock so that we can shine in such a way that the world will glorify you in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.